Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. The Danny Mac Show with BK Podcast, powered by I Promise. Now, here's Danny Mac with BK. Shit for Schwartz, the empty netter. He scores with 1.2 to go. Jaden Schwartz gifted the pass from Shin. The Blues make it 4-2 with the empty netter, and it'll be a happy Saturday night in St. Louis tonight. It snapped out to Leah Anderson. Breakaway in, shoots. What a save. Who saw the rebound goes in as it fell off his stick. It's 5-1 Los Angeles. And the wheel's coming off again for the St. Louis Blues. Too big a hole in about a 25-minute period where you didn't play hard enough. Yeah, it's like it's like digging a 20-foot hole and someone giving you an 11-foot ladder. It just ain't going to work. <laughs> it's a great way to put it. That is the right way to put it. It is the Danny Mac Show with BK. Brandon Kiley is with us, and we start this show today, and we're going to start doing this every single day between 10 and 11. I'm Dan McLaughlin. That's BK. Tanner Hendrickson is with us. Ugly weekend in terms of the Blues in Game 2s. But uh, we're going to get into that in just a moment. We're going to talk a little bit about what's happening in the offseason for baseball and also talk about what happened on Championship Sunday. But BK, I am excited. This is going to be fun. Let's get after it, my man. Yeah, very simply, just to kind of start things off here, it's an absolute honor to be a part of this show. I want people to know up front, there's not going to be a ton that changes. This is still like it was previously the Danny Mac show, and now it just happens to have me here. I'm just here to kind of throw things back and forth no, with you're Dan. Not. No, I no. You are a co-host. Tanner is a co-host. Listen, we work as a team, my man. I said this last night on Twitter, and I mean it. Dan McLaughlin is synonymous with St. Louis sports. You are a legend in this oh, market, and I am thrilled to be a part of the show. I can't wait to do this with you with you each and every day. It's going to be awesome. And I personally, we're going to talk sports now. I cannot wait until baseball season when we can really start diving into that. But we start with the Blues. Let's course. hope that we get to baseball season. I have some thoughts on that. We'll get into that uh, momentarily. But we do talk about the Blues I got my concerns about these back-to-backs. I love them, and I think going forward, the NHL needs to look at doing these back-to-backs, which they had done somewhat, but I mean more and more and more as we look ahead at uh, maybe the 2022 season. But last night, the Blues, second period again. So they win the first game of these sets, and then they go back out in the second game and the second period. That's a real problem for the Blues. Second games of their series thus far, they've been outscored 16 to 4, outshot 111 to 75. So there is a disconnect there, especially in the second periods of these games. Yeah, I don't know what's going on, Dan. It almost, I don't know if it's more concerning or encouraging to me that it feels like it's almost as much mental. And as much about their compete levels, which we hear so much about in the post games after these game twos of the series so far, I I don't know what's happening. Like yeah. there seems to be a lapse there from the blues. They're 0 for 11 on the power play in the second games of series. They've taken 20 penalties in those three games so far. Their four goals in those games, Dan, have come from Shin three times and O'Reilly once. It's as if the rest, the secondary pieces haven't shown up yet in these these back-to-backs or the second game of the series that's what needs to be corrected they need to skate a little better 
they need to get their heads on straight in these second games. I don't think it's something where they're incapable of winning them. They just haven't been able to put it together thus far. And that's what's frustrating because I don't know whether to be encouraged or discouraged by that. So the Kings had five unanswered goals from late in the first through the second period. They outshot the Blues 35-31 through two periods. It was 28-18. Veli Husso made his first ever NHL start. He stopped 29 of 34 shots. Here's the captain, Ryan O'Reilly. Yeah, I feel responsible for that. And other guys do too. It's an opportunity to, to for us to to show him that we're going to have his back and and play hard for him and you know give him some confidence. And he didn't. You know, we made it hard on on him and hard on each other and that, that can't happen you know well, you know he's a big part of this team you know it's not his fault at all uh, at all it's completely you know my, myself and a few other guys we have to find a way to to you know provide our best game in front of them so we've seen him twice right now bk he was in the eight nothing game i kind of threw that out the window against the avalanche i mean he came in a really tough spot blues are playing awful came in all of a sudden gets lit up then you watch last night i thought initially he was okay and then I thought later in the game, no. Uh, one of the goals I did think was his fault. Another one, not so much. But they've got to make sure and figure out that he's the guy moving forward. Now, it's very early to say that he's not. But there is a little concern, I think, on the back end of that. Yeah, I think it's fair to be concerned. That being said, this was one of those where it's hard to even judge the goalie in a game like this because the team in front of him didn't play hard. And you remember the last time that we saw him, that was the disastrous performance against the Avalanche. So... The two times that we've seen Ville Husso out there, it's been in a complete blowout where he was in there in garbage time. And then last night where the entire team looked lackadaisical for much of the game, especially second period and beyond. So how much of that was on Husso? How much of that is on the, the players in front of him? I blame it more on the players in front of him than Husso because my expectations for him are not to be Jordan Bennington. The head coach of the Blues, Craig Berube. I just, you know, I like I said, I you know, you play these teams and you beat them in the first game and they're more desperate than us. Like, it seemed like that's what it boils down to. A lot of desperation, a lot of urgency uh, that, you know, the other team has a little bit more than we have. We, you know, I think there's, you know, times where we do look okay and pretty good in the in the second game, but it's definitely, you know, not consistent for 60 minutes. It's we definitely don't play very smart in the second games. Like I, we talked about playing smart and simple tonight, back-to-back games, things like that, but uh, we're not there yet. So the Blues win on Saturday 4-2. They lost it last night 6-3. Time check 10-10 here in St. Louis, presented by Clarkson Jewelers. We turn the page from the Blues and now look ahead to football here in our first topic. Super Bowl 55, the matchup is set. Brady and the Bucks against Mahomes and the Chiefs. I don't know if you're going to get sick of hearing about this. I am. The greatest of all time against the next greatest of all time. Young versus old. Fine. Dan, whatever. come on. We can have fun with this. This I, is a fun whatever. one. Whatever. Here's the bottom line is it's going to be really well watched because oh, yeah. you got two of the best that are going right now. And, you know, say what you will about Tom Brady. Didn't have a great second half, but to allow him to have the opportunity that all he needed to do was get one first down and win that game. What are the Packers doing? And it's not a situation of trying to explain it. You can't. You got to own it. It's just a terrible play call at the very end of the game. You got to let Aaron Rodgers get into the end zone, tie the game. Two point conversion obviously needed to happen, but you got to let him do it. And if not, all the other scenarios that you talk about are big what ifs and huge chances, and you can't leave it up to Brady to get one first down to win the game. Period. I, I hope that the, this postseason in the NFL will be seen as a learning moment 
for coaches across the league. You remember the Titans did the same thing. They got super, they got super conservative, ended up losing as a result. We've seen this all across. The Colts did it in that game against the Bills as well. The Chiefs, meanwhile, on fourth down with the game on the line in Chad Henney in the game, decided to throw it to be able to win the game. The Bucs, we talk a lot about that fourth down decision, and you're right, Dan. I completely agree. It was inexcusable by the Packers to not go for it from the eight-yard line, fourth and goal. You you are giving the ball back after you kick that field goal to Tom Brady. You really thought you were getting it back? Of course not. The Bucs, meanwhile, right before the half, decide to go for it on fourth down. They end up at the 39-yard line with eight seconds to play, and they go over the top touchdown from Tom Brady, and that's the ultimate way that they won this game. They were aggressive. The 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 Green Bay Packers were conservative, and that was the difference on Sunday between both of these games. I wonder if it changes the narrative for idiots like me that said, uh, you know, Brady, yeah, he's great. Don't get me wrong. He's awesome. He's a Hall of Famer. He's a top-three quarterback. But now that he's done this with Tampa Bay, with really no offseason, truncated training camp, uh, playing in a different conference, new head coach, I thought maybe, well, he could be a product of the Patriots. He plug and play. Nope, not anymore. It changes the narrative for me. He is the best that's ever done it. I, I wouldn't say that he wasn't before, but now it just like totally solidifies everything he's done. He's got the most regular season wins, 230, and now the most postseason victories. That's now 33 that he has in NFL tr- uh, history. That's twice as many as postseason wins as Joe Montana, number two on the list. He had 16. He has 42 more regular season victories than Brett Favre, who ranks second. The case closed. The guy is the, probably the best player, not just at his position, but the best player that's ever put on a helmet. And I, I, I don't know if you can argue that because now he's done it with somebody else at the age of 43. And that is incredible to say. It's amazing. I, I thought this guy was done five years ago. I did too. And he's just continued to do it and not only do it, but do it at an unbelievably high level. And you're right, Dan, for him to be able to do this in Tampa Bay with basically no off season, learning a new system, getting to know these new teammates and so at one point they were what seven and five in the middle of the season yep and to be here after three true road games to get back to the super bowl again it's remarkable he's now gonna play in his 10th championship game his 10th super bowl he and lebron james are the only athletes in the four major american professional sports to do that in the last 30 years it's unbelievable what we're watching with tom brady they've got a seven game winning streak going on right now too so they roll in and they're playing at home now There'll be, what, 22,000 fans um, at Raymond James Stadium. It's still, though, like a home game because you're playing, you're, you know, you're in your own facility, your locker room. You get to stay at home. I mean, those things are big leading up to the two weeks for the Super Bowl. Um, by the way, on a separate note, the crowds in Green Bay uh, and, and also in Kansas City, are you telling me that there's <laughs> only whatever they're saying is, what, 15,000? Place look packed. Now, I know they're separated, but am I the only one that looked at that? Maybe I'm crazy. There, there had to be 30,000 people there. It at certainly least. felt like there was yes. a few more people there than they so were I'm not, leading I'm not on. off my no, rocker on this. No, especially Green Bay looked like it was packed. Yes. I don't know if it's just the way that Lambeau is set up because it felt that way for the previous round as well. But it looked like there were 30,000. 
35,000 people in the stands. I don't know if that was accurate or not. That's total reckless speculation by me, but it felt that way for sure. The Packers, by the way, had the best red zone offense in NFL history this season. 48 touchdowns on 60 trips, and when they need it most, they didn't. But going back to the play that you're talking about, the, the one that basically ended the first half, why are you letting that in man coverage and you're not in zone. That is crazy to me. I mean, that's football 101. You cannot let that guy get behind you. I mean, that's just unbelievable that that would happen. And so there's a lot of questions that Green Bay has to answer. Meanwhile, on the other side, you got Kansas City. They fall behind 9-0. I, I thought it was great when Patrick Mahomes went over, and I can't remember the name of the, the gentleman that... Uh, McCall Hardman. Thank you. And he just says, hey, calm down. We got this. We have plenty of time. Relax, relax, relax. That's what a leader does. That's what he did. And he and, went right back to him. And they, he went right on the back next to drive, him. they That's went smart. right back to him with a quick screen pass. They kept him out there on punt returns. I would not have done that. They were certainly more gutsy than I was on it. I and think you have to, though, because if he's if he's been there all year, it just happened on a big stage. You go back to your guy because yeah. then you bury him mentally. You bury him physically for the remainder of that game, which you still needed him. And if you move forward, you got to have him. And he scored the touchdown. So That's right. they ended up keeping him involved and it worked out for them. Uh, Dan, I as we quickly kind of wrap up here. The one thing that concerns the hell out of me as a Chiefs fan is that they're the biggest Chiefs fan. They lost Eric Fisher, their starting left tackle yesterday. They are already without Mitchell Schwartz, their starting right tackle. They're now all up front. They've got seventh round draft picks and undrafted free agents or guys that had previously been signed during the season. So they were street free agents during the year. Going up against that Tampa Bay pass rush with this offensive line in KC. It's the single biggest matchup that could ultimately determine the outcome of this game. Well, let's uh, take a quick time out. We're going to talk baseball when we come back. Andy McCullough, the senior Major League Baseball writer for The Athletic, will be our guest. And we'll talk a little bit about what's happening in the offseason. There has been some movement, not a ton. And maybe would the Cardinals dip their toe into the offseason waters and actually spend a little money? We'll see. That's next on 101 ESPN. This is the Danny Mac Show with BK, the podcast powered by I Promise. Alongside Dan McLaughlin, I am Brandon Kylie. It is the Danny Mac Show with BK here on 101 ESP. And happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line, joined by senior MLB writer for The Athletic. He is Andy McCullough joining us here on the show. Andy, always appreciate the time, man. How you doing today? Hey, no problem. How are you guys Uh, doing really well? So I was just reading from your colleague over at the athletic, uh, Ken Rosenthal. He wrote a piece a little bit ago saying starting spring training on time makes very little sense. Andy, from what you're hearing around the league, what do you make of the current situation between the players association and the league itself when it comes to resolving the DH, the schedule itself, when we're going to start spring training? Are we going to have a resolution on this stuff anytime in the near future? I mean, you're eventually just going to have to, you know, in theory, spring training will start in a few weeks. And so uh, the rules will be set at some point. But, you know, who knows? I mean, these are two parties who do not uh, negotiate in a necessarily cooperative manner. Now, like the nature of labor negotiations is that those aren't, you know, they're not supposed to work together. They're in an adversarial relationship. However, um, I think just the, the inability to sort of, uh, you know, forge creative solutions and sort of have a more of a, a partnership aspect is, is problematic. That's kind of the nature of, you know, of labor negotiations. And so you've got the, the league saying that the union doesn't want to negotiate and you've got the union saying that the league is asking for things and not really giving anything back. And so it's a, it's a bit of a stalemate 
you know, like people in baseball seem to think that they're going to show up for spring training in three weeks, but who knows? I mean, it's, it's all up in the air. I have to wonder if you're better in better off in pushing this back, still saying to the players, we get 162 games in. Some of those may be the seven inning doubleheaders, but we're going to, you know, let's say start in late April or early May. And because of that, we buy ourselves some time. Do you think it's worth doing that? Or is just the union saying, nope, no way. We're going to start when we say we start because we have a deal. Well, I mean, it's it's not as simple as the union saying, you know, uh, no, we're not doing that. It's that, the union does not have assurances from the owners that if they delay the start of spring training, they'll play a full 162 or at the very least get paid a full 162. And that is part of the rub because the league does not want to uh, upset its television partners and push the playoffs into November. Um, and so that creates, you know, that's a third party who sort of, you know, has a, has a bit of a stake in this, but not a seat at the table just yet is that the league, you know, wants its money from the postseason, doesn't want to jeopardize its deals and doesn't want to upset their television partners by, you know, pushing the playoff programming back against the NFL and the NBA and all that sort of stuff. So like if, if they told the players, Hey, you're going to get paid full 162 players would show up August 1st. You know, it's not a matter of, like they need to play 162. It's that they want to get paid the money that they're owed. What are you hearing about Adam Wainwright? What are you hearing about Yadier Molina? Because uh, obviously that's the big story here in St. Louis concerning the offseason, among other things. But those two individually, and if not St. Louis, where do you think those two may fit? Uh, to be honest, no idea. Um, you know, it would make sense for both of them to come back to, to St. Louis. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's, this is a, this is a tough market for veteran players who would like to earn a fair wage. I mean, it's been like that for a while, but you know, especially this year, there's still a lot of really good players on the market. Andy McCall, a senior MLB writer for the athletic joining us here on one one ESPN. Give him a follow on Twitter at by McCullough. Andy, I wanted to ask you about that market as a whole, because I've been a little surprised by the recent moves. Michael Brantley getting the $32 million contract by the Astros when they could have had him back potentially for the qualifying offer back in November if they gave that to him. Brad Hand signing for $10.5 million after he goes through waivers and nobody claimed him when anybody could have had him for $10 million. And then Jerks and Profar's deal really surprised me. Three years, $7 million per year with an opt-out after every season. Andy, am, am I reading this correctly in that it, it seems like the teams thought that the market was going to be a little bit more depressed than it ultimately ended up being. Is that your read on this as well, or am I missing something here? Um, I think the, the, the factor that, that I picked up during conversations with executives in you know October and November and even into December is they didn't really have budgets moving forward. They weren't sure how much money they would be willing to spend. So a team like the Astros, yes, it does look weird that they didn't make a qualifying offer for 18.9 Michael Brantley and then signed him for 32. However, there's a chance that they might not have had approval to make that offer in November when they had to make it. Um, you know, that was the, that was the big issue that a lot of executives were talking about. Basically their owners weren't letting them know how much money they could spend. So now as um, you know, owners maybe get projections on how the vaccine will affect revenue, whether that when they might be able to get fans in the stands, how many fans, they'll be able to get in the stands, you know, all that sort of stuff, then all of a sudden money shakes loose. I mean, it's, you know, the market is strange because there's, 
not been many deals that you look at and you're like, wow, that was really below market. Guys are getting paid about what they're worth. It's just coming out in a real sort of ragged, haphazard fashion, I think, because there's not a real uniform stance from different teams on just like how much money they're going to have next year. BK brought up a really interesting signing for me, and that was pro far in the three years, 21 million going back to uh, San Diego. Because if you look at their options, uh, just off the top of my head, you got Tommy Pham, you got Will Myers, you got Profar, you've got others that can play the outfield. To me, maybe they're thinking, okay, the DH is coming to the National League and this is our insurance. Do you read that that way too, that the DH is coming and those kind of deals will happen for National League teams? Yeah, I mean, I think that's part of it. Also, you know, Profar can do so many different things that even if he's not necessarily getting at-bats in the outfield, he can play around the diamond to give them even more flexibility, you know, to, to pair him as like another super utility guy with Jay Cronenworth. I mean, like for me, the deal that screamed the, the DH is coming to the NL was Kyle Schwarber to the Nats because Kyle Schwarber is really doesn't have much utility in the field. And he got paid, I think, $11 million to go play for the Nats. That would, that would lead me to believe that on a, you know, for at least the 2021 season, Mike Rizzo believes that Kyle Schwarber can, you know, there will be a DH and Kyle Schwarber can fill it. Otherwise, you know, Mike Rizzo just uh, made a really big gamble, I guess. We're talking to Andy McCullough here on 101 ESPN. Andy, the big trade that took place over the weekend is the Yankees once again adding to their starting pitching, and another good player is leaving the NL Central. What do you make of the mass exodus of talent from the National League Central, and given how many good players have left, is this opening up an opportunity for the Cardinals, even if they don't add serious talent, to still be the favorite in this division? Look, I think if the three of us find 23 of our friends, we might win the National League Central in 2021. No, I mean, yeah, I have the Cardinals as the favorite. Uh, that's kind of what makes their offseason like, kind of so deflating is I think they have a lot of – like they have a good club, it, and they are they're a few players away – from being a team who could actually challenge, you know, the Dodgers and the Braves. Um, And to see them kind of do nothing is kind of deflating and gives you a sense of like the way that uh, division crowns have been de-incentivized and that, you know, winning 95 games doesn't mean nearly as much as it used to when you can make the playoffs for winning 85 games. So I think either the Cubs or the Cardinals would be my pick for the division right now, but it depends on like, you know, the Cubs might give away Chris Bryant, you know, while we're on the phone right now for no reason. So who can say? I'm so interested in the central and how many wins it may take and seeing what Pittsburgh has done now. That's a lot of wins potentially. Now baseball's a crazy game. Sometimes teams, you know, they play worse against other teams and better against others, but man, oh man, I, I don't know, you know, could 86 wins, 85 wins win this division. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it, it could, but it could also go the other way. I remember the Cleveland had like a hundred and something win team a couple of years ago when all four teams in their division were kind of tanked. Right. So it can, like, you know, the Cardinals could win like a hundred and two and just not, and be like an 88 win true talent team. I mean, that's, a, you know, that's a bit crazy, but you know what I mean? Like, I would suspect, though, that, yeah, like it'll probably take about 88 to 90 to win it, but it could be 86, 87. It's hard to say. Andy, I know you spent some time covering the Dodgers out in L.A., and I, I've said repeatedly that's one of the best teams that I've ever seen assembled. Um, it, for the Cardinals right now, in terms of the gap that exists between them and the Dodgers, the Padres, the Mets, the Braves, is there any one move, in your opinion, that the Cardinals could make this offseason that 
maybe doesn't get them to that level with the Dodgers or the Padres, but closes that gap enough to where you feel like they've at least got a puncher's chance if they went up against those teams in the postseason? Um, I don't know if there's one move, to be honest. How like, you know, they would be better if they signed JT Realmuto. You know, they would be better if they signed Trevor Bauer. They would be better if they were the team, you know, taking you Darvish off the, off the Cubs' hands. I mean, I think there's a pretty significant gap between the Dodgers and the rest of the league. I think even the Padres are closer, but not as close as the sort of public perception is. Um, even Atlanta, you know, is close, but again, probably within like a five-win range. So, you know, it, that, that said, like, it, it kind of speaks to the fact that they're not really doing anything and they can comfortably, you know, for lack of a better word, get away with it. It's because they have a good club. They know they're going to be a talented team in 2021. And there's not as much incentive to win the division as before, especially with the playoffs expanding. It just doesn't mean as much. You just get into the tournament and see how it goes. And that's most likely what they'll do. And, you know, maybe they'll win the World Series. I mean, they won the World Series, you know, 15 years ago with like an 83-win team. It can happen. So um, then again, they had Albert Pools. But, you know, it's, I don't know. It's just, it's just deflating to see teams like not doing anything. With rotations, and this is my final question, do you see – at the major league level, I think we're going to see it a lot in the minor leagues when uh, they finally get going. But do you see some of these teams piggybacking guys because of the lack of innings last year? Do you think that's something that we may see in the major leagues? I don't know. I think that's going to be really, really interesting. I don't I don't know if teams necessarily know what they're going to do just yet. I mean, I think that there's probably going to be more care paid early on uh, in, in the season. You know, I, I don't think you're going to see guys going particularly deep in games for, for a long while, but um, you know, I, it's hard to say. It's hard to say. I think teams are still sorting that out now, and it's just going to depend, like, how players feel when they show up, you know? Andy, great stuff. We appreciate your time, and thanks for doing this. Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Andy McCullough, the senior baseball writer from The Athletic. I want to talk more about that when we come back, but the piggyback situation, particularly uh, looking at the Cardinals and their... This is the Danny Mac Show with BK, the podcast powered by I Promise. BK's Chiefs. Huh. What are you trying to do, Tanner? What, are you just trying to butter him up or what? No, I mean, I don't want to see the Chiefs heading to the Super Bowl either. But you I just didn't? know he's a major fan. No. You wanted to see the Bills? Sure, why not? Yeah, I would have been I would have been fine with the Bills, too. Yeah. I, I would have been fine with it. No, you wouldn't. Other, don't than, lie. other than my allegiance, I'm saying, like, as a football fan, that is, I really enjoy watching that team. I think we saw on Sunday, though, that as much as we want to put Josh Allen in that same category with Mahomes and Rodgers and Brady, he's not there not yet. Not there yet. He'll get there. I think he's a really good young talent, but he's not quite there just yet. Interesting conversation we just had with Andy McCullough, the, uh, the athletic, and one of the things we got into is piggybacking. And basically what you do with a piggyback situation is, is okay, BK starts, he goes four innings, Danny Mack, he comes back in, and he's got the next four. And that's how you do it. Um, it's one way that they do it in the minor leagues, to really be careful with arms. I think you're going to see it across the board in minor league baseball because they're younger players. They didn't have a full season last year, and for many of them, didn't have any season. Guys like Libertor, Thompson, others at least had satellite camp. The others... They're throwing on the side. They're doing everything they can. Teams are trying. I, I talked to Gary LaRock last week, who runs the Cardinal Minor League System, does a great job. And he said, you know, we were able to at least give these guys throwing programs, and hopefully they stayed with it. They stay in shape. This is their livelihood. This is their business. 
and they did what they were supposed to do. But still, it's not like live action. So my point is you're going to have to be very, very careful, very careful with a lot of these teams when they come back. And I mean that on the major league level. We were just counting up the potential of arms, and bear with me here on on what I'm going to go through, okay? So the Cardinals, by my count, minus Adam Wainwright, have 20 to 21 arms potentially that have major league experience and could come back and help them at some particular role, in some particular role. In my rotation, BK, I've got Flaherty, i got KK, I've got Michaelis. Those three are in pen. And I've got Gomber and I've got Reyes. I would put those two in my four and five and say they're the leader in the clubhouse right now going into spring training. So that puts Carlos Martinez in the bullpen. Jake Woodford, Daniel Ponce de Leon, Oviedo, Ryan Helsley, who they've told to be ready for a bullpen role. Uh, John Gant, who's got starting experience. And all these guys have starting experience that I'm mentioning. Genesis uh, Cabrera, Giovanni Gallegos, Thompson and, and Libertor are two that have not been above uh, basically a ball and you got to be careful with. And then your normal bullpen guys are Hicks, Miller, Webb, Whitley, Elledge, Fernandez, Rondon. Here's the point, and that's why Andy's pointing this out. I've talked about it a lot in the offseason. The Cardinals have a lot of depth with their starting pitching and with their pitching overall, and it's going to be very interesting to see how teams approach playing a full 162, having, let's say, major pitchers, like a guy like Adam Wainwright who went deep a lot of games last year. He only threw 65 and two-thirds innings. Only 65 and two-thirds innings. And now you're asking these guys to have a workload of 162 and go every fifth day. It's going to be tough on a lot of teams, and especially in, in a season, early in a season. You may see starters only go four or five innings or six and be very careful. And that's why the Cardinals may have an edge on some other teams in the league. Yeah, so most of the time what teams will tell you, or at least what I've heard in my experience, Dan, is they want a 30% increase in innings for these young starters. So when they're when they're in the minors, a lot of the times you see them come up and they've had their, their biggest workload is 110 innings or whatever, right? So they're willing to go to like 145 innings the following year. And that's where you get those innings limits. And a lot of the time it frustrates fans because you get these young starters that have been fantastic and then they're basically shut down at the end of the year and the reason why they do that is to keep them healthy long term because they've got to think about more than just for this instance the 2021 season they're also thinking about the seven years of club control well for the cardinals you look back at last year it's literally impossible to do a 30 percent increase for these guys you can't i mean if you did it that way a guy like daniel ponce de leon would only be available for like 50 innings You could throw him in the bullpen and he's going to have more than 50 innings going into next year. So they almost are forced into this where they have to go with the piggyback. And maybe early on, Dan, we say four. It might be closer to three innings where you're going three with the starter, three with a reliever. And then you've got like two one on the back end. And it may not be them coming out and say, hey, we're doing a piggyback. But just watch how it plays out. You may see. Um, I'll just throw it out there. You may see Alex Reyes only go four innings, but then when you see him after four innings and the Cardinals are up five to nothing and he comes out of the game, well, you know, a piggyback is, is what's going on here. The other thing too, that you have to think about is that with all the guys we just mentioned, and we had 20, 21 guys that I could make a case for right now, all of them to be a part of this team and, and say, you know, Johan Oviedo, who may be tremendous in this spring, but he's better off by sending him to the minor leagues and saying you have to be a minor league guy because we've got to keep certain guys stretched out in case something happens. Now, there may be certain guys that you have stretched out going into the season that are in your bullpen. 
maybe a Henesis Cabrera, maybe a Ryan Helsley to give you multiple innings, but still you need starters. And that's why some of those guys, I think, will find their way to Memphis, whether or not they, you know, maybe beat somebody out, but you got to be stretched out as a starter. And that's something to keep in mind. And you only have so many roster spots. Dan. Yes. It's one of the that's reasons why when you, when you look at this Adam Wainwright situation this offseason, right? And that's the backdrop to everything we're talking about right now. He makes a ton of sense because if he blows his arm out, he said it himself. He blows his arm out. And that's well, he, the end and it's over. He said it to me. He said, you know, he went to Mike Maddox in the series against the Nationals and the Cardinals were down whatever it was, three games to one. He said, Mike, if you pitch me, don't worry about taking me out because I know you got young guys like Flaherty and others that have a career ahead of them. He said, if I blow out on the mound, I'm okay with it. You know, I don't like it, but I, I've had my great career. I can walk off with my head held up high and I understand why you're doing this. And that goes even back to the point of his complete game against the Indians this year. He said, look, our bullpen is toast. I get it. And if we're getting killed and I'm getting killed, keep throwing me. Give me those innings. And that's the kind of value that I think if you bring back Wainwright that he brings to this team. He's going to be a guy that you can throw out there. And if it doesn't go well, it doesn't go well. But he buys you innings. And there, there's value in that. The problem, though, is you also have the roster spots that you have to think about. Right. So, like. We love all of these young arms that the Cardinals have. And so how do you weigh the value of those young arms getting more time in the major leagues and having that extra spot in the rotation, whether you want it to be Reyes or maybe you see Carlos get another opportunity? I know, I know, I can already hear you upset about that. No, but not at all. Maybe it's Oviedo or wh- whoever your guy, maybe Libertor by the end of the season ends up in that fifth yeah, spot. Very well or Thompson could. could be in that fifth spot. They've got a ton of options. And so... If I had to guess what the Cardinals are doing right now internally, they're weighing what is the value of what you're just talking about with Adam Wainwright being able to eat those innings and knowing if he blows out, he blows out versus having these young arms that are going to get more opportunities in a starting position that you're going to be counting on, not just in 2021, but when you're really trying to compete again for something greater than a bad division in 2022 and beyond. And that's a difficult thing to really balance. And think about it, if you're Mike Maddox right now, you're what? Hmm, 17. So we're about, what, 22 days away from the start of spring training. The 27th, I think, is their first game of February. The 28th is a split squad. So in his mind right now, probably pen to paper or pencil to paper, he is mo- he is sitting there mapping out every particular guy to say we got to get three innings on this day and then five days later he's got to have you know another three innings and then we got to build up to five innings with this guy and I would be building up a lot of these guys a lot of them because you're going to have to in especially early in the season and that will be the difference I think for a lot of clubs it, it's not being talked about like we talk about from a fan perspective and I get it you know oh Kyle Schwarber signed here and this guy signed there and that guy signed there and that's great that's the hot stove and that's what we should be talking about but because we are in this situation of COVID and what happened last year mapping out what you have is going to be something that needs to be focused on maybe more so than some of the other things that we're talking about and the Cardinals are uniquely uniquely qualified to be able to deal with this situation I did want to ask you about Reyes because he was your fifth starter in this rotation My one concern about that, Dan, is he hasn't thrown more than 100 innings in any season since 2016. Yep. So it's not just what we saw from him a year ago. And I love Alex Reyes, and I think he has a future in the rotation. I just fear if you put him in that role now, even coming coming off of what was a 20-inning season for him, when he hasn't really thrown a whole lot of innings in five years now, 
I worry about whether or not he would be able to withstand that kind of a workload given what his history shows us. And I understand that. I think, though, I'm at the point after watching him for as long as I have, and I saw him when he first was signed, um, it's almost like you take the training wheels off. And you saw by the end of last year, what I noticed physically is that he was letting it go, finally letting it go and seeing the consistency. The, the, The bottom line with him is, number one, being healthy. But number two is, can he be consistent inside the strike zone? And if he's like that, like he was at the end of last season, which for the most part he was, then that talent to me plays in a starting rotation. And at what point do we, I don't know if baby him is the right word, but at what point do you say, hey, here's your shot. We're going to let you do it. And if it doesn't work out and you see him in spring training and the workload is there and maybe he's, he's got the ouchies or whatever you want to call it, then you back off. And that's why you have these other guys. Something to think about. I would I, I would love the idea of it. I love it conceptually. I think the way that I would start it out is with him being the second guy in that piggyback role, starting Which somebody else in front of him, having him be the second guy up those innings this year to a, maybe it's 110 innings that but he throws But at what point, though, year. do you cut it off and Next you say, year. Okay. Next, next, next year would be that year for me because then you're able to get a full season of a true workload, and it would be the first time we've ever seen that from him in the majors. And the next year, I get to see what he looks like as a starter. All right, take some text messages and questions uh, coming up next segment. This is the Danny Mac Show with BK, the podcast powered by I Promise. BK, this is from the uh, Ken Rosenthal piece this morning. The NBA, NHL plowing uh, through the pandemic. Neither of their seasons proceeding smoothly. The NBA, which reduced its schedule from 82 to 72, has had 20 postponements since opening night, December 22nd. The NHL, reduced from 82 to 56, has had seven postponements since January 13th. MLB had 45 postponements last season. Two games were not played. Those were the two with St. Louis and Detroit. That would have been a doubleheader if it meant something. Um, well, I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm thinking more and more about it. You know, we're, we're about three weeks away from spring training. And and the thing is, it's not just the 25 man roster or the 26 or the 30. Uh, John Mosellock indicated to me, there would be 80 players down at spring training. Can we get through this? And are you better off pushing it back to say April 1st and starting May 1st and still getting in 162? That's a question mark. Are we the numbers going to are they going to be down by that time anyway? So are you doing yourself a favor? Because one way or another, the players are going to say we're getting the 162 in. We got through last year 60 games. I want to get paid. And I want to get paid my full 162. It is fascinating to see what they would do here in the next couple of weeks. So my my concern about pushing things back, Dan, is that we could have said the same thing about the NHL season, right? Hey, you know, starting January or early January seems like a really bad idea. What if we started in February instead? What indication do we have that things would have been better at that point in time, right? And that's that's the difficult part if you're Major League Baseball is you're trying to project things that there is no way to know for certain what it's going to look like at that point. Will players be able to get the vaccine by then? Will players take the vaccine if they are given the opportunity to do so? We don't know the answers to those questions. Will the numbers around the baseball players in our local communities be better by then? Seems like things are trending in the right direction, but could it go up again? Sure. So as much as I understand what where they're coming from, it's also difficult for me to say that. So you're saying plow through, just, do, just I think start so. it, go. Just because, and the reason why I'm saying that, Dan, is because I don't know that there's any certainty that if you wait another month, 
it's going to be better for right. sure. And that would be the big question, I think, for all of us. Uh, 314, I don't see us having 200 innings league-wide for any pitcher. I would agree. I, I don't see one guy stepping up from the get-go and going 200 innings. I, I don't think there's any way that happens. If there's going to be a guy, it'll be Trevor Bauer. Probably. If he, if he ends up doing what he's saying and he signs a one-year deal. That- one-year deal would be the key. Now, if I got him for six years... I'm no telling way. my management staff, uh, <laughs> let's be a little careful with this guy. We got a hefty investment in him. One have, year, go for it. Have you seen what he said about going every uh, f- every fourth day instead yes. of every fifth day? Yes. It's really interesting, man, because th- I saw they did a piece on this on ESPN, and they basically looked into it. It wouldn't change much for that rotation because my, my thoughts on it were always, well, then you're kind of screwing up the rest of your rotation. He basically just pitches the one in the five uh, spot in the rotation. So you need three other starters with him. It's an interesting idea. And if there's anybody that would do it, it would be Trevor Bauer. Danny Mack, what about Dakota Hudson from the 314? I, I don't think we talk about the loss of Dakota Hudson enough. Yes, the Cardinals have a lot of pitching. We already went through that. Loss of Hudson? Huge, and it's going to be glaring this year. A guy that, to your point, had been built up, could take on some of those innings, and was solidified in your starting five. There there would not be a question mark as, well, is he a swing guy? Is he going to be? No, he's in your rotation. No questions asked. Uh, We have not talked enough about the loss of Dakota Hudson. And, you know, let's be honest. I mean, you got Michaelis coming back. All accounts are is that he's healthy. But until you get out there and start throwing every day, every fifth day, and your bullpens, you just don't know. Yeah, because if you had him, it would basically be Flaherty, KK, Michaelis, and Hudson that are you're determined for. You know every day they're going to be in the rotation. And then the question is, who's that fifth starter? Yeah. And for me, it would be an obvious, well, you you just throw Gomber in there. I think he's the guy that is the most proven, that has the most upside that I would want as my fifth starter. Two lefties in your rotation. You like that? I love it. Yeah. I love it. And I think that would make the most sense. But with him not being in there, there is less certainty. And we talk about that so much in the lineup where you want more certainty somewhere in the lineup. It's also in the rotation where there's there's a lot of question marks that are high upside in your rotation where that's not necessarily the case in the lineup, but there are question marks nonetheless. BK, our first show is already in the books. How about that, Dan? Flew by. Went quick. Went very quick. we do this again tomorrow? We'll do it again <laughs> tomorrow, buddy. Uh, you're coming up, though, with Alex, and you've got three more hours, so good we luck to indeed. you. Uh, what do you have coming up? So coming up today, we're going to get more into the second game woes for the Blues, some of the issues that have taken place there. I know Alex has some big-time thoughts on that. We've got John Kelly, Blues broadcaster, coming up at 1130. And Chris Kerber said something really interesting on the morning show earlier today about the Blues lacking an identity early in the season. I want to talk to Alex about that. We'll do that all from 11 to 2 right here on 101 ESPN. Great job, my man. This is fun. Absolutely loved it. Tanner, awesome. I, You know, I still feel like we're close, though. We've <laughs> added BK, but you and I are still close. Yes. Okay. Now, now maybe he won't bully me as much. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. I'm the one that's doing the bullying. Tanner, you hang in there, buddy. We'll see everybody tomorrow at 10 on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to The Danny Mac Show with BK, the podcast powered by I Promise. Peloton, let's go. This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.